Choke points. Let's go. Let's talk about something that is not quite a road and not quite a street. You drive them every day, and they are some of the most dangerous places in Washington. Here's Chris again. And they are called strodes. Not making it up. It's called a strode. S-T-R-O-A-D. First time I have actually seen this in presentations was Monday at the state legislature when Roger Millar, the head of the Department of Transportation, used the word strode mm. in his presentation it's in to Wikipedia, the legislature. So it must be okay, true. so it's it's something that has been uh, kind of under the, the service for a lot of people in transportation. I had never heard it. But these are places like Aurora Avenue or Highway 99, Pacific Ave or Highway 7 in Parkland. They started out as roads connecting Two places like Seattle to Everett. But over time, they filled in with businesses, residences, and they came destinations themselves. Here is State Transportation Secretary Roger Millar. About 1,100 miles of the state highway system are what we call strodes. They serve as a road connecting two places, and they also serve as a street providing people access. Millar says these strodes are some of the most dangerous places in the state. In these 1,100 miles of facilities that we're responsible for at the Washington State DOT, the fatal crash rate is double the statewide average. The serious injury crash rate is triple the statewide average. And it's easy to see why. These strodes usually have higher speed limits designed for when they were built, but don't really reflect the uses of that strode today. I have one of these in my neighborhood, 132nd Street Southeast in South Everett. It was built to connect I-5 through the old Buffalo Farm east of Mill Creek over to Highway 9. Well, now that Buffalo Farm features several schools, new apartments, retail businesses. There are long stretches without crosswalks. I see people walking or running across this road from the apartments on one side, across five lanes of traffic to the stores on the other side. It's not ideal, and Millar says it's time for a change. What we need to do is challenge the desire for speed and the need for safety, the desire for convenience and the need for safety. Washington is most likely going to set another record for fatalities in 2023. We were tracking towards 800 people killed on our roads heading into December, and that comes after back-to-back years with around 750 deaths on our roads. We're seeing increased speeding, reckless driving, impaired driving on roadways, in work zones. It's happening statewide. It's happening all around the country. We have to ask ourselves, is 750-plus deaths a year acceptable, or are we truly willing to do something different? This is why you're seeing a push to ban free right turns on red lights or to lower the blood alcohol content for a DUI. That's why you're seeing speeds come down, too. In fact, I was on Aurora yesterday after meeting with the DOT up in Shoreline, and it's down to 40 miles an hour in certain stretches. Millar says it's time to start redesigning these strodes with all users in mind to make sure that everybody gets home safely. Well, now, we're spending a lot of money on these fish culverts to protect migrating fish. What about human culverts so that uh, migrating humans could go, like, under the streets or even over the streets? Well, you would need a Supreme Court court order to force your hand to make that happen Mm because that's what's 
pushing the fish culvert. It's a legal action by the tribes to restore their fishing habitat. So we don't have a Supreme Court ruling forcing our hand to spend money on these safety improvements. As part of Millar's conversation with the legislature on Monday, he brought up something again that we've talked about for years and how that is the legislature has routinely underfunded our preservation and maintenance. They're about a, they spend about a billion dollars less a year in maintenance than we need just to keep up with our stuff, not to build anything new. Uh, And so something is going to have to change, not only maybe from driver behavior, pedestrian behavior, bicyclist behavior, uh, people who use the roads to the legislature changing their behavior when it comes to funding priorities. Well, maintenance is all all the matter. I I hear they're closing a lane of the East Channel Bridge. Yeah, that closed overnight. Uh, We'll probably hear that in in, uh, Colleen's newscast this morning. Uh, There's an expansion joint on the East East Channel Bridge that is close to failing, and they're basically load restricting the right lane by closing it. Uh, this is going eastbound only across the East Channel Bridge before you would get off at 405. So this morning, drivers are going to have one less lane. Uh, the right lane is closed now until they can get that thing fixed, which isn't going to be until next year. So I, I thought, not, doesn't it qualify as an emergency? Technically, but it's not to the point where it will. F- they they think they can protect it by load restricting it, and they don't have the finances to do that right now. And they have accelerated this by two years by putting an emergency clause in some of their uh, the language and the contracting. So they were may not have gotten this done to twenty until twenty seven, but they're doing it in twenty five. Uh, by the way, they're going to restripe the roads in about a, the road in about a month and return it to four lanes. But those lanes, Dave, are going to be. 10 feet wide, which is the minimum. Is that, like, is that, is that the same as the convention center lanes? Yeah, yeah they're, they're, that's the uh, minimum. Average, uh, the normal length for a, a width of a lane is 12 feet. Uh, going forward until this fix is done, it's going to be 10 feet starting next month. But that right lane's out of commission until they get that stripe. Here's done. James Poling from the uh, from Washdot. This joint has been there since 1989. It's had aggressive maintenance. It's well past the end of its lifetime, and uh, this is a temporary measure to protect it until we can get the permanent replacement in there. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm uh, I'm I'm glad that we won't be driving on it, but uh 10-foot lanes are bad. I think they're dangerous. I think that's one of the reasons you see so many accidents under the convention center. And uh, if that doesn't qualify as an emergency, I don't know what does. Oh, look at that. Mercer Island. They're just like us. They have lanes shut down, too. Uh, there's Bellevue. <laughs> yeah. There's People are getting to Bellevue. <laughs> there's North Bend. Yes. There's all of eastern Washington. Uh-huh. So, oh, and by the way, Dave, saying. just so you know, yeah. ran your Ivy idea. Yeah. Past the person in charge of the express lane. Oh, really? For graffiti cover up. Yeah. Not, not, it's going to be our choke point on Tuesday. <laughs> what? Really? It's going to be a choke point on Tuesday. No, That's I, a long I ways away, point? though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Dave, I, when you ask me questions, I get them, I get them answered. I like that. That's exciting. <laughs> this is Seattle's Morning News and the governor's plan to force gas and oil companies to reveal their pricing strategies has created a heated debate in Olympia. Cairo News News Radio's Matt Markovich is covering this current legislative session, and he joins us now. So what happened yesterday, Matt? Well, good morning, Dave, and good morning, Colleen. Well, yeah, this is the first public hearing of the governor's plan to compel oil and gas companies to be transparent with their prices. 
Now, this is a huge deal for the governor. Outside of how they're going to spend this extra billion dollars of uh, Climate Commitment Act money, this uh, legislative session, this is probably number two on his plate. He's been talking about it for a year uh, because it started when when all of a sudden that auction took place, the pollution auction, and tax the tax on oil companies started at the beginning of the year, and we saw this huge rise in gas prices. Yeah. Coincidence? Well, you know, we, we've been talking about that for a year now. So, uh, Senate Bill 6052 aims to address transparency issues related to petroleum supply and pricing in the state. Now, it establishes a division within the Utilities and Transportation Commission to provide oversight and analyst analysis of transportation's uh, transportation fuel markets. Now, the UTC has great experience regulating electricity, zero experience when it comes to fuel. Now, the bill requires the industry to submit uh, monthly and quarterly reports on imports and exports of petroleum products, the sales, volume of fuels, and other relevant information. But here is the real political focus. It's really about determining if there's a weighted price of gas in Washington due to the governor's climate commitment tax on pollution created by the oil and gas refiners in the state. But right out of the get-go, when you listen to the testimony, it appears that it needs work. It's not quite baked in the oven all the way. The governor's senior climate advisor, Becky Kelly, told the Senate Committee on Environment, Energy, and Technology that it's a work in progress. We have visibility um, and even regulatory power into electricity sector pricing, but very little insight into petroleum markets, supply, and the factors that influence the price of the pump. Now, Democratic Senator Joe Wynn of Seattle, the bill's prime sponsor, presented it on behalf of the governor. Our objective is very clear. It's to ensure that our citizens are not subject to unfair practices to guarantee that any changes in gas prices are transparent and justifiable. Now, Wynn acknowledged that there is a high level of secrecy regarding pricing of gas and oil in the petroleum industry. Frankly, it's like that in any industry. Pricing information is really secret to these companies, and having that information get out can have huge consequences. Now, the bill includes confidentially provisions submitted by uh, oil and gas companies, uh, but some lawmakers and industry advocates argue that there's not enough specific anti-cyber hacking provisions and they need to be added and when acknowledge that. I know that there's some work around cybersecurity and confidentiality that we'll need to figure out. That won't be maybe one big reason why it's not quite baked yet. Now, the Republican senator and committee member Drew McGuin expressed concerns about the UT's experience uh, and, and expertise in determining if gas companies are really guilty of price gouging. I have concerns on how we're going to determine whether there is uh, price fixing gouging, whatever term you want to use, when oil prices are extremely cyclical on a global market and especially on a state by state market. And you have some of the best commodity traders in the world that lose a lot of money real fast how are we i just i'm, I'm questioning the the feasibility of being able to put this into uh, into place in a practical manner when you have some of the best uh, market uh, makers in the world get it wrong and then you have you know opec which independently decides how much they want to sell a barrel of gas and the governor right. has no say so over something like that so Jason Lewis, he's representing the uh, Utilities Transportation Commission, admitted to not having all the answers lawmakers wanted to hear and mentioned that the state will need to hire experts to analyze pricing and supply information submitted by oil and gas companies. We don't right now have the expertise in this area, but we do as it uh, relates to uh, utilities and, and whatnot. And leaning heavily on those that have expertise in this industry will be crucial. 
Now, as you would expect, all members of the petroleum industry testified before the committee that they opposed the bill. Now, Tom Wolf is a senior government affairs manager for BP America and testified as neither for or against the bill. The current draft does not meet these standards, and we believe the program won't provide you with the, with the information you're looking for, frustrating everybody. Now, here's an interesting exchange. Uh, I found it interesting. Uh, questioning by Democratic Senator Lisa Wellman. Now, Wolf addressed the issue of profitability, which is what is really at the heart of the issue. And the governor and Democrats want to know how much the industry is profiting off the drivers in our state. I mean, there's a lot of information that we get. The only thing I don't know is how does your profitability relate to the price at the pump? I'm not in the business of telling a company how, mu- how much profits they can make. But it is interesting to see rising profitability also rising prices at the pump and wanting to know I would what's the relationship between the two of them. So Wolf tried to answer that, explaining that BP America is an integrated energy company and there's various factors that affect profitability. We are an integrated energy company. Bring oil up from the, from the earth, we market it, we refine it. We have a lot of different things that affect the profitability of our company. It's not just how we sell the fuel and what price we sell. I'll also remind you that we don't set the price of fuel at the pump. We sell it at the rack, give it to well, gas stations and those gas stations operators and owners set the final price. Just to do the one-on-one comparison, I don't think is accurate. And another thing I found interesting is that uh, there have been very few acknowledgments that the Climate uh, Climate Commitment Act and the pollution tax is baked in the price of gas. But Steve Snyder, the owner of Snyder Energy, basically said there is. First and foremost, our company has observed major oil company refiners adding a surcharge to cover the cost of the CCA and the LCFS. During 2023, our company paid as much as 70 cents per gallon in CCA surcharges. Now, I had not heard that before. No. 70 cents a gallon. Wow. Well, I mean, that's got to be documented somewhere. So has he presented his receipts to prove it? Um, I don't know, but he was testifying, and, and the other people talked about a uh, surcharge by oil companies they didn't say a specific number like he did but they're talking about the surcharge that they're passing down to guys like steve snyder who are run the gas stations and distribute the fuel to all of us now finally here's what i thought was the most interesting colorful comment it came from steve clark the president of genesee fuel and heating here in seattle he opposes 6052 and he's basically claiming the petroleum business is already transparent. What other industry posts their prices outside their retail operations, giving consumers a choice without even getting out of their vehicle? That doesn't happen with coffee, donuts, almond milk, or electricity. Okay. <laughs> That's true. Uh, that's true. All so, right. So is this going to pass? Uh, I think what he basically I laid out the argument that there's too much work to be done. Now, the governor wants to have it done by... August they have this in effect, but you know California has tried this. People are saying, "Wait for California work its bugs out," and we're basically following California's uh, California's model here. So, this is my analyst in this: is that yeah, we're presenting it. The governor wants it, but the likelihood of it get through to the finish line is un- unlikely this session. Kyron News Radio's Matt Markovich. Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. Your daily dose of kindness is brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. A South Florida family gets a fresh start thanks to a stranger's kindness. Mirabel Rodriguez with CBS Miami has the inspiring story. You're amazing. And thank you. It's tears of joy for Lakeisha Webb as she thanks a stranger who saved her life. I've been 
going through a lot. Um, me and my family, we've been homeless for the last couple of months, um, almost like a year, year now. But that all changed on December 13th when fate brought Jennifer Little and 35-year-old Lakeisha together. When I got out of the car, I approached her and she looked up at me and kind of sat up straight and I said, what's going on? And she said, I can't afford to live anywhere. Lakeisha was sitting in a Fort Lauderdale Publix parking lot with her three young children when they met. From the very beginning, she had, in her own words, absolutely nothing. Because unfortunately, on the days when she couldn't come up with the money to stay in the hotel, they would lock her out and put all her stuff outside, and then people would steal their things. So she literally had nothing. Jennifer, who is a photographer, says she knew she had to help them, created a GoFundMe and shared Lakeisha's story. We've raised money to get there. Drivers, her Florida ID, her birth certificates, all the things that got stolen, they're now back. She's in a brand new place, brand new to her. It's got furnishings, it's got all the basics. People have donated this dining room table, the couch, beds, linen. She's got a fresh start. She really has a fresh start. What just happened? I got the place. <laughs> I got the job. Yeah! <laughs> you excited? Yes. Oh! Anything else you want to say? Thank you. <laughs> Matt from CBS Miami. After the Generous List Show, here's G. Scott. It does seem like piling on when a bank charges you a fee for not having enough money. But uh, that's what the the White House is trying to change now by lowering the overdraft fees. Do you have any experience in this area? Mm, yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot of it. But you know what I've learned about this topic right here? Mm -hmm. You know, there's um, sometimes a lot of topics come up, and there's always different opinions, and everybody comes from different sides. And then sometimes it's really good to bring up a topic that everybody can kind of relate to. <laughs> and I think overdraft fees are one that most of us can relate to, no matter where you are right now. But it was probably a point in time where there was six months, one year, two years, five years period of time in which some overdraft fees slapped you in the face. Absolutely. In 2019, banks in the United States of America collected $11 billion in overdraft fees, right? So right now, the proposal would be like, hey, let's just make it a flat rate, maybe down to $3. Look, I can even go $10, but the whole 37 or 35 or whatever your yeah. bank institution charges you for people that uh, are check-to-check, they make a mistake. Uh, people that are young kids, or just as you make that mistake, or some people who are just in, too embarrassed to ask their family for money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, that, that happens. It is just rough. And I know when it used to happen to me, it just used to crush me. And here's the part that's even sketchier about banks. I'm not trying to rip on banks here today, but uh, just give me a second. Um, remember, anybody used to get charged a fee if you grab money from your savings yes. and put it into your checking. Yes. Like, wait, hold on. That was infuriating. Really? That's me, me, my money. Wait, let me yeah. get this straight, bank. You telling me that I can only go to that thing like three to five times and then you're going to charge me? Yeah. So th these types of things are, Dave, you never heard of that? I've never heard of that unless you cashed in a CD early, but. <laughs> 
he's on a whole new level. No, usually, usually. I think our, our bank still does that. Yeah. Really? Actually, if we, we have, have like six free transfers. amount and then, yeah. of before you have to do it. So, yeah. bro, did you just go all the way to CD? No, nah, we ain't graduated to there yet. Okay. We still on these overdraft We're fees. We're on 101 right now. <laughs> you know Finance I mean? 101. So, but, uh, but again, I think that there's a lot of people that can relate to this. Now, if you guys remember, you know, back in the days, we used to write them checks, right? And so them checks had a little float time, you know, three to five days, however long it took for that check. So the overdraft fees back when the checks were happening weren't as much. They happened, but they weren't as much. But then the debit card came out, mm-hmm. and the bank said, yeah. Because you're not watching as closely when right? you have your debit card. Yeah, yeah, that's why I went eventually in my life when I was trying to pay off debt. I just went to a cash-only diet because then it was in front of me. I knew how much money I had, mm-hmm. and the banks couldn't get me with those overdraft fees. Now, guess when the last time I had an overdraft fee? When? Two weeks ago. What? <laughs> Come on. No. I did not see that coming. No, I know. No, I'm being serious. I had an overdraft fee because, uh, you know. You didn't people, check your balance? Well, if you have multiple uh, uh, different accounts and, and all that kind of stuff. You know what and it so, is. It's all that bougie food you're buying now that you don't eat sugar right. and, and so, flour. <laughs> so, I, so I didn't realize. It. Matter of fact, I didn't even tell Ursula and them. Let me, let me tell you what really happened. What really happened was I went to go buy a little coffee <laughs> and, and, and some coffee and my card declined. I said, wow! <laughs> so, so I gave him another card and, you know, I paid for yeah. it. And I said, well, I'll go away. You know, everybody probably be lying like, ooh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I went away. I said, ooh, wee, my, 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 my account was negative. But the cool thing is, is yes. now my bank was like, hey, the message says, hey, just go ahead and make this good by this time, and will the fee will go away. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Yeah, you got that. a better status at the bank now. That's <laughs> you, weird you, that they're treating you better because you got more money. So you mean to tell oh. me poor people don't get the same thing? Huh. huh. Yeah. Weird. Did you see how Dave tried to go all the way to CDs on us? We talking about overdraft. <laughs> we still balance our checkbook every month. What? So, yeah. We like on paper? On paper. We just good write for it down. you. Yeah. Good for Have you. Have you ever had an overdraft yeah. fee, Dave? Uh, No. Sorry. I had a late fee from the credit card company once. Oh, no. Wait. Call the cops. Oh, my goodness. We got it Put removed. that man in handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> 8.48, and that is Mickey time. Mickey Gomez is here, joined by millennial fashion expert David Burbank, because we're talking, about, we're talking about fashion this morning, and specifically mm-hmm. yesterday's New York Times article about, a quote, dressing your age. I think it was mostly... Uh, aimed at women, but so Boo. what do you uh, what do you consider dressing your age? I don't. <laughs> you just so how do you? If I like it, mm-hmm. I want it. So you look the same as you did in college. Yeah, I think so. Well, no, 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 no. Here's the here's the deal. I know when I, I do when I was I younger, shirt when I was in college. When I was younger, <laughs> I believe that. yeah, that's I, that. the, I, I believe that too. When I was younger, I was morbidly obese, and so I liked to hide my. I, I used to hide my body with fashion, so I I couldn't go to the regular stores. I had to go to the specialty stores to buy my clothes. Now that I'm older. Oh, my goodness. It's like the the possibilities, the choices are endless. And I don't I don't want to dress my age. As a matter of fact, I ended up buying a dress for this event that I went to. And when I got it, the dress kind of was long and it went past my knees. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. I feel like my grandmother wearing this dress. (laughs) So I took it. I took it to the uh, I I went and had it altered Mm -hmm. above the knee and the altar. I had it above the knee. It was a beautiful That's dress, a and and the guy said, 
are you sure you want it above the knee? Women, oh. women of your age usually wear it right here. I wait, buddy. Pull well, it wait, up. Wait, wait, wait. Did somebody say women of your age? Women of your age really? normally wear common. the dresses. Yeah. Uh. Uh, slightly below the knee. I said, not my legs. Did you say I didn't pay you for your opinion? Goodbye. I didn't. I did not. I just said, I would like it if you brought the dress up to about right here. And you know what? Best decision ever. I wore. I rocked that dress. But where's hmm. this coming from? New York Times had an article about dressing your age. Was it an anti-dress your age? So, or was it like, here's how you dress your age? It was more commentary because um, Liz from Akron, Ohio is the one who kind of said, I've always dressed fashionably. I still want to. But as I get older, I don't want to look silly in an outfit that's for a 20-year-old. In fast fashion right now, if you go to the stores, go to the malls, you're going to see that a lot of the sweaters are crop tops. A lot of, the, a lot of those, you know, T-shirts or crop tops, and although I don't want to wear a crop top, I same. I will rock. I will rock some of those dresses and jeans and boots and whatever. And you know, she says that that it doesn't matter what age you are. If you like it and you want to wear it, good, rock it. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about David's fashion choice, which this mm-hmm. morning is a snazzy purple petunia sweater with uh, a flowered shirt underneath. Yeah, the flowered shirt was sort of the main, The, the it was going to be the star of the show, and then it was so cold that I had to put the sweater <laughs> yeah. on. But for me, I think, and it's, it, it's obviously, there's kind of some blurred area between what's women's fashion, what's men's fashion. For me, I think... men's fashion ages a little, um, it doesn't age. uh, Yeah. I think it doesn't age quite as well. I think I'm not going to be wearing this type of stuff as I age into my forties and my fifties and on from there. Why not? You're so fat. You give G a run for his money with your fashion. What I feel is I think when I look at men's fashion when i look at a you know men on the red carpet or men in magazines and stuff i what i'm looking for out of uh older fashion would be more understated stuff and and maybe that's not maybe that's you're you gonna know, change your mind as you yeah. that, go beyond age 26 definitely. you're gonna hold on to your youth it's as possible. much as possible i'm kind of looking David. forward to being i mean i can't even imagine you rocking future. I can't imagine you rocking the white dad tennis shoe. I mean, I no. really, I really can't. I could, I, I can imagine. I kind of want to embrace that. I think it's, it's its own fashionable thing. I think as long as what's so important in fashion to me is finding something that's comfortable, finding something that fits well, that's sort of tailored to what you're hoping to get out of a silhouette of your body. And I think as long as you stick with stuff that fits you well and and is comfortable, I think it. You know, you can get away with a lot of things. And let's I think, like, why go, are we asking wait, Chris, wait, 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 the wait. real fashion I'm just saying, icon? Let's go to our Chief Kyra Kirkland Radio. correspondent, yes. uh, Sully, an outlet mall correspondent. I just buy whatever is cheap and whatever fits. <laughs> you, I, I, I look like a high school gym I teacher. I disagree. And you, I always. No, will look I disagree, that way. Sully. You have a fashionable flair. I see you wear your hot pink shirt sometimes. Yes, I love that. Hot pink. Stepping out <laughs> I mean, of your I'm not going zone. to dress like I'm in prison with just a drab out. I mean, sometimes. You're like a fashion sense. Well, but if you, I'll tell you what, if you catch me an air monarch, she might as well just put me out behind the shed. So you do have standards for Well, that. yeah, I'm not going to wear old man shoes. You're it's like All my ad- blessings to Pete Carroll, but I'm not wearing air monarks. <laughs> I never am. When and I- my 23-year-old, my 21-year-old nephew, who's now wearing air, mon- uh, air monarchs because he thinks they're cool, I'm like, dude, you're not 50 or 100. Yeah. When on. I when I look at you, Sully, I think Land's End. I don't know why, but that's, I'm like, I'm like, 
Sully's Lands End Under Armour Outlet Mall. Okay. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and like you, fifty pairs of nice, comfy stuff things from Costco. Costco. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm forever twenty one. Oh, oh, wow. That's I'm looking apart. for those shoes with the retractable heels. You don't have to lace up all the time. So oh, those I don't are have to cool. Down. Those are cool. What you no. slide in from the back and you they work like I'm Iron Man sure shoes. How, they, how does sure that work? How they work? Just give me a good zipper like and I'm fine. Boots? Yeah. Thank you, Mickey. Thank you, David. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.